Good evening and welcome to the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast. I am your host, Andrew. Joining me tonight, we've got Joe. And now, as I can finally announce officially for the first time, our third co-host, Ron. How are you doing, Ron? Good. Good. Feel good to be official finally? Yeah. (laughs) I I thought Festivus was the best way to bring in, because really, we've been thinking about it for a while, and we just kind of dragged our feet because the end of the year was just the end of the year, and it was kind of wild this year getting to the end. And when baseball news decided to fall off, we didn't get a chance to uh, do a December episode at all like I was hoping. So uh, anyway, sorry to make it so long, but you are... Now officially on air recognized, and uh, hey man, we're we're glad to have you aboard as an official member now. I'm glad to be here, Joe. How you doing in that beautiful new Chicago Cubs sweatshirt, man? I'm hanging in, man. I'm hanging in. Um, <laughs> you know, no complaints. Well, let's roll it in, guys. Uh, just for just for the uh, knowledge of the listeners, Jason is still with us. We did not swap Jason out for Ron. Jason is just uh, once again, as seems to be pretty often the case over the last couple of last uh, last season, actually almost every month, Jason was out on some kind of vacation or another. Jason is on yet another vacation because we have rolled into the new year, so his PTO at work has been uh, renewed. Also, um, I believe this is Jason's tenth year at Web, so. Uh, uh, where he works, so they get he, he earned some extra time off, and he's taking it right now. Plus, uh, he was with Uptown String Band during the Mummers Day Parade on New Year's Day, and uh, needed some recovery time after that. Uh, Uptown did a great job; they ended up in sixth place, and uh, their leader Cade got um, one best overall leader in his first year as as a leader of a string band. So that's absolutely awesome to hear that. Uh, congratulations to Cade and Uptown for their excellent performance. Um, I actually recognize like like this the cameras were close enough I could actually recognize Jason when he was out there because one he's one of the shorter guys out there anyway, but he had sent, he had sent me a picture ahead of time so I knew what to look for and what costume he was in and uh, it, the costumes were great. Um, if you don't watch the Mummers Parade on New Year's Day, t- try and take some time when the string bands come on in the afternoon because it's absolutely a party to watch. They all do such a good job and uh, it, it's the themes and the costumes they come up with are. Absolutely fantastic. So, uh, uh, Jason, I know you and Karen are off on the cruise right now, probably not checking in, and that is A-OK. Um, just enjoy your time off, buddy. We'll get you caught back up in a couple weeks. Let's be honest. Jason's probably 10 sheets to the wind right now. <laughs> Only 10? <laughs> He's on a boat. Give him the benefit of the doubt here. As the song goes, he's on a boat. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> so speaking of 10 sheets to the wind, Ron, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking an Arnold Palmer Ooh, half and half. Nice. I love the Arnold Palmers. Those are delicious. Um, Joe, what are you drinking? Drinking an ice cold diet Mountain Dew. Wow. Uh, the amount of calories in that thing is zero. That's the amount of moves Jed Hoyer has made, has made. And that's the amount of applause he will get this week at Cubs convention. So <laughs> is he even going to show up? Oh, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. How do you like them apples, Jed? <laughs> I mean, I heard the Ricketts probably aren't going to make an appearance. Shocker. Um, <laughs> I can't believe Jed's going to sh- – is he going to try and say he's doing some work and that's why he can't attend? Well, what they'll probably do is they'll probably sign somebody like Thursday afternoon, some big move, and then he'll show up and announce it at the convention. Be so like, that's what they did with Dan last year, I think, like right before the convention. We're doing so much. 
<laughs> you got a manager. You got a great manager, but you've done literally nothing else. Let's yeah, uh, yeah. We, we, we've got a manager. Take that, Milwaukee. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, jeez. Anyway. Um, and guys, tonight I am drinking a glass of my delicious homemade eggnog. Mm. Also, since uh, Jason's not here, it's not his jar, I promise. <laughs> and I didn't have time to run to the store and grab beer, so it, it's still the holidays. Normally, I'd you know drink this on the Christmas episode, but it's close enough to Christmas. I can still drink it. Also, I just made it on Saturday, so it's very fresh. <laughs> All right, guys, let's roll into it for the start of Season 4 of Dollar Dogs and Beer. So our lead tonight, we're going to be talking first about Wander Franco. Um, just very brief overview. Um, as you guys know, he's been investigated in the Dominican Republic for the allegations that he had a relationship with a 14-year-old and also giving the girl's mother um, car, thousands of dollars, in exchange for her consent for the relationship. Um, he was arrested and jailed on January 1st. Um, he was supposed to appear before prosecution on December 28th, but did not appear. So he was arrested and jailed. Um, he was, um, on Wednesday, he was officially charged last week with commercial sexual exploitation and money laundering. The mother was charged with the same crimes. Um, the money laundering charges are because the, are due to the allegations that, um, he had made payments to a minor's mother. That's why those are there. Um, the prosecutors had requested that the judge hold him on an $86,000 bond, bar him from leaving the DR and place him under house arrest. Um, they also asked the judge to prohibit the mother, the minor's mother from leaving the country as well and place her under house arrest. So on Friday last week, um, after he had been jailed, the judge did order his conditional release while investigated. He's going to allow Franco to leave the Dominican Republic, but ordered that he must return once a month to meet with authorities. Um, he was ordered to pay 2 million Dominican pesos, which is roughly $34,000 as a type of deposit. So basically a, a bail bond. While the investigation continues, the mother was ordered to remain on house arrest. Um, just, just so you guys know, the AP has not reported the name of the mother because of the allegations against an underage against an underage person to protect um, the girl's privacy, of course. Um, MLB, of course, has not commented additionally, and they're not going to until this is all said and done. Their investigation remains ongoing, and as a reminder, they can issue a suspension regardless of any rulings from the legal system, either in the United States or in the Dominican Republic. They are their own entity. So even if he gets off scot-free with no charges, they can still and likely will suspend him for a significant length of time, I would think. Um, and just earlier today, this afternoon, he, it was announced that he has been officially released from jail. Um, no news as to whether he has remained in the Dominican Republic at this time or has come back to the United States. So that's the update in Wander Franco. Um, you know, we're just, we're stuck in waiting right now until um, the justice down there makes their next move. Um, I don't think MLB is going to be doing anything right now. I believe he is still under um, administrative uh, administrative leave anyway, so it's not a roster issue for the Rays. Or if he's not because of you know cycling people off the um, off the lists at the end of the season, he'll be put back on that as soon as necessary for Tampa Bay to make a roster move. So that um, any Rays fans listening in, um, they've already been making moves in a, in anticipation of this, which we'll get to a little later. 
All right, so let's move it on to the Hall of Fame, something, again, we normally cover in December, but thanks to Shohei Otani, we have had a notable lack of moves throughout the, throughout the fall and into the winter. So um, we'll do the Hall of Fame stuff first now. The newcomers in the ballot, you've got Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Chase Utley, David Wright, Bartolo Colode, Adrian Gonzalez, Matt Holliday, Jose Reyes, Jose Batista, Victor Martinez, James Shields, and Brandon Phillips. Returning members, Todd Helton for his sixth year on the ballot, Billy Wagner for his ninth, Andrew Jones for his seventh, Gary Sheffield in his tenth and final year on the ballot, Carlos Beltran for his second, Alex Rodriguez for his third, Manny Ramirez for his eighth, Omar Vizquel for his seventh, Andy Pettit for his sixth, Bobby Abreu for his fifth, Jimmy Rollins for his third, Mark Burley for his fourth, Francisco Rodriguez for his second, Tory Hunter for his fourth. Um, and there has already been one person who has already elected that has been previously announced, Jim Leland, the manager. Um, first of all, guys, I want to touch on Leland very quickly. I think it's absolutely the correct call to put him in. His all-time record was uh, 1769 wins, 1728 losses. He has a World Series title with the Marlins. He led the uh, Tigers to, I believe, one or two trips to the World Series as I think well. It was two. two, okay. Um, at, you know, Wheeland. I, I know I, I saw a couple people on like the Earnestly Speaking page, among others, thinking um, should Wheeland have been put in. <clears throat> I think so. When you look at his track record over multiple case over multiple places, he's won manager of the year in both the National League and the American League. There aren't a ton of managers that have done that. And uh, yes, I know he had Miggy in Detroit to just wreak havoc with everybody with, but as we've noted many, many times, baseball is not a one-man show. It never will be. Or Shohei Otani and Mike Trout would have won at least one playoff game by now together. So um, I think Leland was absolutely um, deserving of this nomination and uh, election into the Hall of Fame by the uh, ARIS committee that put him in. Um, guys, uh, I, Ron, you, you remember Leland leading the Marlins back in 97 when they were still a fresh young team and uh, just stomping through the playoffs and taking that World Series. I mean, uh, it was pretty impressive. First off, how old do you think I am? <laughs> you should be old enough to remember that. I was two. Oh, okay, fair enough. Wait, you're that much younger than us. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> All right. May I call, but question withdrawn. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you remember the run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean. We were young. I the story. That was, that was pretty pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I you know I I understand people th see the record close to 500 and think no he really doesn't deserve it but it's you have to look at more than just the record and it's the argument I've made time and time again so I'm glad to see him put in there he's a baseball lifer it, it was a little overdue in my opinion for him getting in yeah I think so sometimes you have to look at the intangibles a little bit and from a manager standpoint he had those um, you know and and you know. Some some of the the you know managers in the league have not had great records, and I mean Belichick was not always a Hall of Famer, and he'll go in the Hall of Fame as a coach. So uh, you know we can't can't always count what they did at the end. You have to kind of look at the entire body of work for a guy like Leland, and and you know great baseball human too. I think so. Uh, complete agreement with you there, and you make a great point, Joe. Um, it, 
whoever early on in their career is going to be a great manager. Bobby Cox was wildly unsuccessful for the longest time as a manager before. Remember, he actually had two stints with Atlanta. Atlanta, Toronto, back to Atlanta in the front office, and then down to and then down to the field where you know the Braves went on that tear. Early early results are not indicative of long term success. And you could look at Joe Torre. Joe Torre was the same way. He was terrible in his early years as a manager. Um, I th- honestly, I think the only guy I can think of quickly off the top of my head who has very quick early successes as a manager, but not long term would probably be Billy Martin. And that's, let's face it, that's because Billy Martin is probably one of the most, uh, let's just say explosive personalities baseball has ever known. And the fact that he was tied with one of the most explosive managers at the same time, you know, it probably didn't help things too much between Billy and George. I mean, what four stints with the Yankees between all the times he was fired and rehired or something like that. Yeah. So um, uh, anyway, I'm really happy to see Leland put in. He's a manager I always respected. Um, whenever Atlanta would play Detroit out there, he always had the guys ready to play. And it just great guy, like you said, Joe. All right. So, Ron, let's let you go first. Um, let's pretend you are a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America, and you had a ballot in your hands that you could pick up to 10 guys to put in the Hall of Fame. Who are you electing on your ballot? Well, I'd go Adrian Beltring because I grew up watching him. Joe Maurer, Chase Utley, of course. As much as I hate the Mets, I loved watching David Wright. Probably have to put Matt Holiday in there, too. Okay. Then if, you know, the returning ones... Andrew Jones. I would probably honestly pick hmm, Alex Rodriguez, Bobby Abreu, Jimmy Rollins. Okay. Hmm, Probably Gary Sheffield, too. Just growing up watching him. (laughs) And especially that crazy swing, getting the back. You know, the crazy thing about Gary Sheffield, and you will not see this from another guy for a long time, just because of how the attitude towards batting has changed. Sheffield walked more times than he struck out. I think that gets overlooked a lot. Um, Joe, who's on your ballot? Um, Well, I I would say the only two that I know that I would vote for, for sure, are three. Todd Helton, mm-hmm. Billy Wagner, and probably Joe Maurer. Okay. Um, I, I, Vizquel is someone who's in the club of very good. I mean, he had 14 gold gloves, 12 in a row. Mm-hmm. And defensively, like his offensive numbers don't look, you know, spectacular, but his defense was phenomenal. Yes. So, I mean, from a defensive standpoint, I think Vizquel is a is – a, I mean, he's a long shot with, with where he is in the percentages, but um, that'd be somebody I'd consider. And then I think the other two would be A-Rod and Manny, with the caveat being that I think at some point we're just going to have to, you know, we, we can't pretend anymore that baseball knew about it and looked the other way because they, they did. And mm-hmm. I, I think to not put these guys in, you almost have to at some point come to the to the point where you just say look 
they they were great in their era. Let's let's you know recognize either recognize the steroid era for what it was because it was great for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, for the for the game as far as fans go, um, you know, you could easily argue that the home run chase between Sammy and and Mark McGuire saved the game of baseball for fans. Um, at that age level, I mean it. It's one of the reasons I'm still a fan. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest about that. Um, a huge Sammy guy. So, I, you know, it was, it's one of those things where, like, I feel like we, do I think they deserve to be in because they cheated? No. Do I think we have to acknowledge the fact that they cheated and, and, and Selig and the, and the whole crew looked the other way? Yeah. I think we have to. It, it doesn't take away from their accomplishment. Yes. Yes. It makes them, able to hit the ball a hell of a lot farther. But I think we have to do something where we say, you know what? Recognize the steroid era for what it was. These guys were great in that era. And let them in, like, do do like a separate thing kind of thing as opposed to the standard Hall of Fame. Like, so so guys like Manny, A-Rod, I think they would be in like a separate part of the Hall of Fame, so to speak. The asterisk wing? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> You do make a good point. And I, I'm really interested to see as these um, steroid era guys fall off the ballot and get picked up by committees, how the committees are going to handle that. Because the committees, remember, are made up of people that played, that were either players from that era, that were executives from that era, that I, I don't think there are any writers, but um, there's co- there's managers and coaches from those eras. You know, the, the committees look at things like that um, I mean, obviously, the early era doesn't have any active living members anymore. Right, but, right. But for the current era, you know, you're going to have, you know, whether you get in, it'll, it'll be decided by your peers. And I think that's important that that's also considered as well. I'm really curious to see where those committees are going to start to fall because, you know, s- some players from that era have said, I don't care. Some players from those eras have said, absolutely not. Some players said, let them in because they still had to be able to hit the ball, whether they were juiced or not. And steroids don't help you hit it better. They just help you hit it farther. Um, I mean, look at Ken Caminiti. Ken Caminiti's, um, his interview where he admitted to using steroids, that's what broke the top off this whole thing and eventually launched the Mitchell Report. And Ken Caminiti's in the Hall of Fame. It's also dead, unfortunately, so we can't get his opinion on anything anymore. Um, but, and honestly, Cam Kennedy probably should have been in the Hall of Fame anyway. He was one of the most feared hitters of his time at third base between his time with the Astros and the Padres. So, anyway, here's here's my list, guys. Um, I'm not going to not reveal mine. I, I actually did pick a full 10. I don't always, when we do this exercise, I don't always pick a full 10, but I did this year. Um, I've got Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, Andre Jones, Gary Sheffield, Francisco Rodriguez, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Matt Holliday, Jimmy Rollins, and Carlos Beltran. Um, I, 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 had, I had some tough choices. Um, Rollins and Utley, for example. I think Utley will probably make it, but I could also see Utley being a committee appointee eventually because Utley had a really strong peak but his career was so decimated with injuries. He lost so much playing time to injuries. 
Um, I could very easily see him being one of those 50-50 guys that will just fall short and then gets put in later by committee. You can't take away his um, postseason achievements at all. Um, Gritty guy. Definitely somebody that you loved having on your team and hated playing against. Um, I I just don't know if he did enough um, because of his injuries again. Um, Jimmy Rollins, uh, he was a guy that he was so smooth at shortstop. He had a great glove. He had great range, a good arm. He was a speedster on the bases. He had a good bat. Um, and I'm happy to see that his numbers have been steadily going up. And I hope and I hope it means that eventually he does get a chance to get elected in because I think he does deserve it. Um, he was at 12.9% last year, only his third year on the ballot. Um, Torrey Hunter was one I almost put in but didn't have space for. Um, another, another fantastic defensive guy out in center field with some very comparable numbers to Andrew Jones, just not quite in the power department. Um, but I hope Tory doesn't have to stay on for a little while longer. Um, chef, I, I know Sheffield was named in the Mitchell report. Um, he was never actually linked though to taking steroids. He had, um, I believe therapeutic creams and things like that. I don't believe he was, he was on the Balco reports, but I don't think he was on the Balco list of players that had received steroids, just regular medication. Um, again, Sheffield, he hit a ton of home runs. He had fewer strikeouts than walks, which is such an enigma today. High average guy. He was a great clubhouse guy everywhere he went. Um, just a guy I've always loved to watch. Helton, I think is going to make it this year. He almost made it last year. Wagner, to me, guys, closers have been getting the shaft for so many years because people just look at saves. They don't look at more advanced things like their strikeout percentage, their K per nine, you know, because they look and say, oh, you didn't throw that many innings. Well, of course not. I was a freaking closer. I don't throw that many innings. I come in for one inning, throw gas, put people away and save the game. So I hope Wagner's been getting close. I hope he gets it. Same with Francisco Rodriguez. I mean, when you when you look at the two, they're pretty similar. Rodriguez had a career, 286 ERA, 437 saves. Wagner was 231 with 422 saves. Put, the, put them both in. It's about time for the closers to get the recognition they deserve. Um, Beltre is going to be a first, first ballot guy. Maurer, I think, is going to be close. He might be two years. I think Matt Holliday will make it in as well. Um, Beltran was another one. I, I know he got tied up with the, Astros, with the Astros cheating towards the end of his career. But to me, what he had already done as a player had pretty much cemented his place in the Hall of Fame. He's got the stats for it. He's got some rings. Um, career slash line at 279, 386, 435 homers, 1587 RBIs, stole 312 bases. Walked over a thousand times. Uh, to me, Beltran was a, even even with the cheating. I can over I can overlook that a little bit. Um, I know the Dodgers fans will hate that, but you know what? I'm kind of tired of the Dodgers right now, anyway. So, um, so that was my guy. So that, those were the guys I picked. Uh, Joe, I think you nailed it with Omar Vizquel. Great player. He's in the Hall of Really Good. He's not in the Hall of Fame. And that's how it, that's why I said about Nick Markakis when he retired. I, you know, great guy, great clubhouse guy, great hitter. He's not a Hall of Famer. And that's what yeah, a lot I, of these guys are. I feel like a lot of this list felt that way. Mm-hmm. A lot of this list felt like the Hall of Really Good. And Brandon and, Phillips, James Shields, Victor Martinez, Jose right. Reyes, Jose Batista. Um, 
I, I think all those guys fall off after this year. I don't think they make it to a second year. David Wright's going to be really interesting because he's in the same boat as Chase Utley. When he was playing, he was great, but he was hurt so much. I, I just, I, I think, and I, Wright was hurt significantly more than Utley was. Um, I, think, I think Utley and, and Wright probably get in later. Yeah. They get voted in based on that. Um, yeah, that, that would be the what I'd say. They'll probably get in by committee at some point. Yeah. What do you guys think about Big Sexy getting in? I mean, he hit a home run. <laughs> it's not likely. Yeah, I don't see it. A four twelve ERA does kind of bog you down a little bit, even if you did end up with two hundred and forty seven wins. <laughs> My question is, how many teams did he play for? And that's going to hurt him too. Uh, he yeah. played for quite a few teams. He was with. Yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. Cleveland, Montreal, the White Sox, Anaheim. Boston, the Yankees, the White Sox again, Oakland, the Mets. Oh yeah, I forgot he I forgot he had like 13 starts for Atlanta in his second to last year. Minnesota and Texas. Yeah, he he was 11 he teams. Yeah. 11. Over 21 years. <laughs> Most of it in the AL. Yeah, that's probably going to hurt him as well. Um if he gets in, he'll be an Eras guy. Uh I I I'd be kind of surprised. That usually when your ERA is that high, it's almost an automatic uh disqualification said so James Shields. I don't even know why James Shields was even on this list uh, career record of 145 and 139 401 ERA I that's that's never going to get you in I he had you know, 2200 some strikeouts yeah 2200 some strikeouts he didn't even strike out one guy per nine I mean I know strikeouts aren't everything but I'm not seeing Shields make it out of the first round I don't see him being an Aris guy eventually either yeah that was he he felt like a really odd like we needed we felt like we needed to put one more guy in the ballot to me, but what do I know? I just host a baseball podcast. <laughs> All right, guys. So that's we'll see. Uh, Hall of Fame, I believe, results should be announced in the next couple of weeks. So as soon as those announce uh, those uh, results come in, I'm really excited to see who's going to be in this year. Uh, we're definitely going to have at least Todd Helton in this year so uh well there will definitely be somebody besides leland on the stage this summer so that'll be exciting um and when jason gets back we'll uh let him pick out his up to 10 votes as well all right let's move it on free agency started really freaking slow this year guys it it started with a nice bang uh november 19th the phillies resigned aaron nola seven years 172 million ron i know you and jason were uh pretty happy about that I was not happy about that because I was hoping Atlanta was going to poach him. <laughs> uh, no, it, it's nice to get a – I mean, last season was a little rough, but it's nice to get a, a good solid arm back to keep the rotation going. And from what I read, I, I believe the Dodgers were in pretty hard on Noah as well. Um, and I, I think the issue was years on the contract. I think Atlanta and LA were both offering a similar amount of money, but they were going for a couple years fewer and Nola preferred to stay, you know, stay with, stay with what he knew, which I can certainly understand that. And, um, you know, get a couple extra years of secure of job security, but can't fault a guy for that. Um, even though I know Rick Granitz, uh, your former pitching coach, our current pitching coach was really pushing Nola pretty hard because uh, he really liked working with Nola, but Hey, say la vie. 
I can't say I was shocked that that happened, um, but I was shocked to hear how much Atlanta was willing to throw around for Nola because that's not usually their thing. So um, good, we had a good start. Um, the Cardinals brought Lance Lynn back um, after a couple-year hiatus. Uh, Joe, this is not the Lance Lynn that left St. Louis many years ago. <laughs> no, it's not. But I, I, I do think that, um, you know, Similar to Dylan Cease, he kind of suffered the same thing where you have a crappy defense behind you and not a ton of offense. Um, and and then every mistake you make is magnified. Um, yeah. Lance Lynn just happened to be the guy who gives up more home runs than any other pitcher in the league, I think, last year. Um, about that. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, there's a ton of things wrong with, with the White Sox. Managing was not the only thing, so. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. <laughs> there were a lot of things wrong with the White Sox last year. Yeah, Lance Lynn gave up. Oh, wrong spot on baseball reference here. He gave yeah he gave up a lot of home runs last year. And they weren't cheapies either. They were multi multi run homers and yeah, a majority of them. So I. You know, it's one thing if you're a Kyle Hendricks and you're giving up solo shots because nobody else gets on base. Um, but when you're Lance Lynn and you're giving up 46. Two, or three, two or three runs because Tim Anderson boots two, three balls, then, you know, it's a problem. I'm sorry, 44, not 46. 28 yeah. with the White Sox and 16 with the Dodgers after he yeah. was traded. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> long ball's going to bite you. Um, still, though, I for one year, 10 mil. I thought that was a good signing, yeah. the right price. Yeah, walk right across. <laughs> there goes the cat. <laughs> hey, it didn't take long in 2024 to have a cat walk across. I'm just amazed it's ever my cats that do that because uh, my cats do not like to listen like most cats. Um, you also had the Braves signing Reynaldo Lopez. This was a deal I, I liked at the time and still like three or 30 mil. Um, Reynaldo Lopez will probably end up being a being a mid to late inning guy. But Atlanta's going to stretch him out and give him a chance to also compete as a starter because he's had success doing both. So I, I love the flexibility that that signing gives Atlanta. He uh, might be one of them guys that would be good for like a bullpen game if you need it. Yeah, or yeah, or you know, even if he's not a starter, if you you know they're going to Atlanta. We'll get to Chris. We'll get to uh, Chris Sale a little later, but you know I, I'm sure Atlanta's going to be skipping his starts periodically to rest his arm throughout the year. He'd be a great guy to be the step in guy for a sixth for a sixth pitcher in a six man rotation. Um, the Cardinals signed uh, Philly's favorite Kyle Gibson, one year, twelve million, and St. I Louis. About that. <laughs> I knew you did. I had to say something. <laughs> As St. Louis finally realizing that their pitching last year was atrocious, is trying to at least put together, cobble together um, uh, at least slightly below league average uh, starting rotation for next year. Because uh, that's what you're getting out of Kyle Gibson. You're not getting an uh, ace. <laughs> um, Tigers grab Ken and um, Here's the big move the Cardinals made there. Sonny Gray, three years, 75 million. I was, Joe, I was surprised by that one because that's not the kind of signing you usually see the Cardinals doing in the offseason ever. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th I think they had to make a – it was pretty clear before last season when they didn't listen to fans like Zach and and even non-fans like me. Um, you know, they had to make starting pitching moves. They didn't, and they clearly made that a priority this offseason, and 
uh, with good reason and and with good results. I think. I think they've. I think they've gotten markedly better. I I truly do. Um, mm. From a pitching standpoint, um, and I think you know I think Matt's is still there, and Matt's will be really good if he was just so messed up when he was in in Queens for a couple of years. They really screwed with him, and and he got hurt a ton. Um, I, I I think he. You know, there's a lot of belief that he can really be a good, you know, fourth, fifth guy. Yeah. Yeah, you can do worse than Steven Matz as a four or five guy. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing for the nice thing for St. Louis is now they've got an ace that they've got an ace in place now for three years. And honestly, twenty five million a year for an ace is not bad. And is Sonny Gray the most dominant ace in the league? No, he's not. But he'll get the job done. He'll give them a fair chance against other aces if they're, you know, if their offense can pick him up. And when he's not slotted to go against the other team's ace, he should be able to pitch well enough that they'll be able to pull a win out of it. So I, I do like the deal. Um, he was one I was actually another one I was kind of hoping Atlanta would go after, but I wasn't too surprised that Atlanta wasn't willing to go to twenty five for Sonny Gray. I just want to um, say he's he's yeah. one of the more he's one of the more consistent aces that was on the trade or on the free agency block. Yeah. He's not flashy, but he's consistent. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a great way to describe him, Ron. Um, and then the Dodgers in a move that I, I know Joe and I in the uh, group chat absolutely love. They're bringing Jason Hayward back at a one year, 9 million. Um, I, I'm happy to see it, man. I will always love Hayward um, both first time in Atlanta and Chicago. And this is the, uh, this is an appropriate contract to any, any earned it. Yeah. He, he, he got a change of scenery, scenery and he earned himself another year. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not upset about it at all. Always love that guy from that. Uh, I still remember his first bat in Atlanta when he hit, home, hit a home run, his first AB freaking awesome. And then uh, the Mets, uh, the Mets grabbed uh, Severino um, as a uh, reclamation project. Let's let's call it that because after his injury a couple years ago, Severino has never recovered to the ace near ace he was with the Yankees. So at one year thirteen, I think that was actually a good pickup for the Mets. See what they can get out of him. Um, and then the Reds kind of went nuts. They they've been signing a ton of guys. They got Nick Martinez two years twenty six with an opt out. Gamer Candelario, three years, 45, because apparently the Reds feel like you need seven infielders or something like that, because I feel like their roster is mostly infielders now. Um, they they also grabbed later in the free agency period. Give me a second. Here it is. Frankie Montes, one year, 16, which I think is a bit of an overpay for Montes. So the Reds have been doing a lot of wheeling and dealing. Um, I... I, I wonder if the Reds are gearing up for the trade deadline to be able to send to send a bunch of guys off and make a splash or maybe even pre-deadline for somebody like Dylan Cease. Even though the White Sox want prospects, they want to throw more MLB-ready guys at them to see if maybe they can lower the price for those guys. I, that, that's the only thing I can really get because the Reds didn't really have any open spots in the infield. They seem pretty well set, but uh, competition's a good thing, I guess. It's nice to see a small market team like the Reds actually splashing some money around for once, too. Still don't see them getting out of the middle of the division, though. Um, the Diamondbacks have been busy. They grabbed Eduardo Rodriguez. Remember, he uh, refused a trade to the Phillies at the deadline last year uh, and elected to remain in Detroit and then left as a free agent. He'll be siding with the Diamondbacks four years, $80 million. I think that's a great move for the D-backs. 
good left-handed pitcher. The Orioles, to Jason's great amusement and pleasure, took Greg Kimbrell off the market at one year 13. <laughs> As Jason was ready, I think, to take um, uh, torches and pitchforks to Kimbrell's house to chase him out of Philadelphia if necessary after his postseason performance last year. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I couldn't get through all that with a straight face. I tried. I tried really hard. Um, and then December 9th hit. And the fucking Dodgers were the fucking Dodgers shining. Fuck the yeah. Shohei Otani, 10 years, $700 million. Most of that being deferred. $680 million will be deferred. He is making $2 million a year for the next 10 seasons. Per the CBA rules of deferred money, his adjusted AAV will be a little less than two thirds of that seven hundred million. So, his AAV value will be four hundred and sixty-one million. So, the CBT number is still going to be pretty significant at forty-six point one million. That's I don't remember what Trout's um, CBT number is, but I feel like that's actually not that far off of where Mike Trout is. So, um, yeah, that. Seven hundred million. We we knew Shohei was going to blow the tops off off of this deal. We we knew that was going to happen. I what I didn't see seven years seven hundred, especially when he can't pitch this year. Well, and that's the thing. I don't think a ton of people like you know before he got hurt, it was five fifty six hundred. You're like, okay, fine. I mean, I think it's stupid, but fine. And then when he got hurt, everybody's like, no four. And I'm like seven, really seven? Oh, okay. Like, yeah. The diamond, the Diamondbacks really made the Dodgers spend a billion dollars. Like, it's insane. I, I, I'm still kind of dumbfounded thinking about a an athlete making a hundred million dollars a year. It must be nice, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the priorities of the world right now. This is nuts. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, Shohei Otani's contract, contract is more than the GDP of some small countries around the world. But let's let's keep that in mind. Seven hundred million dollars is a lot of money. And here's the thing: he can afford to take two million a year because his endorsements are off the freaking charts. He's going to make over a billion dollars by the time he retires between this contract and all of his endorsements. Plus, I'm sure the deferred money will have will have interest tacked onto it. There's no way you defer $680 million and not say, all right, we can defer money, but I'm getting something a little extra out of it too. I'm sure he's not getting as much as Bobby Bonilla got as far as, a, as an interest percentage, but I'm sure it, it's enough to make it worth deferring that much money. And I'm sure Shoei's great, 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 great grandkids will probably still be benefiting from all that money that many generations down the road. Yeah, to me, this is just ridiculous. And I, I it just really blows your mind. It really does. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't get it. I really don't. Um, and then not even like, not even like, forget about baseball for a minute. This is just ridiculous. It's insane. And I think I'm going to petition on behalf of Mets fans that we retire Bobby Bonilla Day because this is just stupid. <laughs> this is absolutely stupid. It's going to be Otani Day now. Yeah, seriously. Well, well I think Dodger Day. They have, they have him, Freeman, and Mookie all deferring money. Yeah. 
So make it make it Dodger Day instead of Bobby Bonilla Day. Dodger Day. <laughs> well, and think about it like this too. Shohei is going to get obliterated in taxes. He's not going to see most of that seven hundred million because he signed with the Dodgers, who are out in California. <laughs> Why do you think the Lakers have to pay premium dollar to get people to come out and play for them? Because California taxes are so damn high. I, <laughs> we'll put aside the LeBron stuff, but any California team has to pay more because the players lose so much in taxes. Um, so yeah, that's the start of the Dodgers spending over a billion dollars this offseason trying to one up the Mets last year. Um, before we get to the next uh mess that the Dodgers decided to make, um, I, I, I had a fun one that I saw in here. Uh, Will Smith is signing with the uh Royals one year, five million. You'll remember, starting from 2021 on, Will Smith has been on the World Series winning team since 2021. He won with Atlanta. The next year he was with Atlanta, and then we traded him to Houston. He won it with Houston. And last year he won it with the Rangers. I, I, I feel pretty safe in saying that streak is going to be snapped this year. I don't see the Royals making a Cinderella run at the World Series title. No matter, how, no matter how bad the AL Central is, and the AL Central is still going to be very bad. I don't see the Royals making a run this year. <laughs> so uh, Will Smith's streak will be snapped at three, unfortunately for him. All right. Um, the Pirates uh, made a cheap deal for Rowdy Telez, get a little bit of power at first base. Um, the Giants, who apparently got tired of missing out on big free agents, signed Korean baseball, um, the, the KBO outfielder Jung Hoo Lee, six years, $113 million, opt out after four seasons. Um, this is extremely high over what Lee was projected to make. Um, I pulled up two different projections. ESPN's Kylie McDaniel had him at five years, 63. Um, MLB trade rumors had him at five years, 50. Now, Lee is a good player. I, I, I don't want to take anything away from his abilities. He won the KBO MVP last year. He hit 342. He's left-handed. He's got a great contact bat. He's got great bat control. He's not a power guy. But he is 25. He's young. He still has time to perhaps develop a little more power in there. He has a career 340 average over seven seasons, 383 walks, 304 strikeouts, um, I believe, uh, over those seven seasons. Um, this is Baseball America's scouting report for him. They graded him as a 60-hit um, tool guy, 45 for power, 55 for speed, 50 for defense. And big advantage, they could put him anywhere in the outfield. And I believe the Giants are probably going to put him in center because they have good guys in the corner, but they didn't really have a center fielder. Um, the, where to start with this one? I don't hate the deal because I think he's going to be a good player. I think it's a huge overpay. I, <laughs> that seems to be the name of the game this offseason. So. Yeah, it's true. Great line with the rest of this nonsense, but I was gonna make a comment, but never mind. Oh no, please do, Ron. Go ahead. Doesn't seem to be the name of the game for the Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it just nope, nope, that's fine. It's not wrong. <laughs> I, I can take my lumps, trust me. I'm not happy about it either. 
I mean, he's going to be making $18.83 million a year, depending on how they move the money around to make the deal work. That, that That's a lot of money for an out, for a light-hitting outfielder, I, I'm just going to say. Now, what, what, the other thing we're going to have to see is the pitching competition at, at the MLB level is significantly higher than the KBO. I'm not saying the pitching at the KBO is bad. There's some very good pitchers, both in the KBO as well as in the uh, Japanese leagues. But it's not MLB quality pitching, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how his average does. I, I I think it'd be more reasonable to put him between like the two ninety three ten range. Personally, I don't think he's hitting three forty in his first year in the majors. But we'll see. And if he gets uh, on base, he's gonna get some steals. So yeah, he yeah he's definitely gonna be a threat to run for them a lot. Um, I am excited to see him play. Don't get me wrong. Um, you don't, you don't see guys like this come over too often. He's, he, he reminds me like he might even potentially be almost in like the Ichiro kind of category. Yeah. So I, I don't know how his arm is. I know his gloves great. So we'll have to see. All right. Looking ahead. Uh, the Tigers grab Jack Flaherty, um, on a one year, let's see if you can find any, any of the old good stuff in your arm. I thought it was a good deal for the Tigers. The Rangers keep loading up. Tyler Mail, uh, two years, 22 mil. I thought that was a great signing for the Rangers to help bolster that uh, rotation. Because remember, um, we're not sure when Schertz was going to be back. He had to have offseason surgery. We're not sh- And uh, DeGrom, I think, is probably going to be done for most of the year, if not three quarters of the year, because he had Tommy John middle of the year last year. So well, You got to think Scherzer's done for at least half the season, too. Yeah, but here, here I'm not going to count him out yet until until I see Max Scherzer say I am retiring from baseball. Uh, he's going to be back at some point. And he's going to come back with a vengeance, and he's going to have a very fresh arm in the postseason, which is going to be very scary for American League teams. Good luck with that. All right, the Orioles also grabbed uh, Michael Walker. They grabbed Hunter Renfro. So, uh, you know, small mid, mid-range deals there. The D-backs re-signed Lourdes Gurriel, three years, 42, with a club option for a fourth season. I like that deal for the Diamondbacks. Uh, they, they will definitely be there challenging the Dodgers this year, even with everything the Dodgers have done. Um, then, because freaking Dodgers. They grabbed uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, 12 years, $325 because the Dodgers didn't have enough money to spend. Largest guarantee to a pitcher in baseball history. Uh, because, of course, they did. It's the modern-day Yankees, guys. <laughs> then, um, a couple days later, the Padres signed uh, left-handed reliever Yuki Matsui, five years, $28 million with opt-outs after the third and fourth year, along with an injury clause that can convert to a fifth-year club option. So, like, if he has Tommy John, that fifth-year turns into a club option. If he doesn't re- recover from it, they can cut him loose. That's basically what that means. Low 90s fastball. He has a really good wipeout splitter. And let, let's remember, the splitter is a pitch that the Japanese pitchers all throw really well. Every Almost every Japanese pitcher throws some variety of a forkball or a split finger that has been very effective for them and usually translates pretty well, at least initially in the majors. Uh, you know, remember Dice K's, uh, that ghost forkball that he threw. Um, over the past three seasons in Japan, uh, 142 ERA and a 36.4 strikeout rate. Not bad for a guy who throws a low 90s fastball. Um, the Mariners, uh, they grabbed catcher Mitch Garver. The Red Sox grabbed Giolito, two years, 38 and a half, which felt like a 
bit of a stretch for me money wise. I wouldn't have given Giolito that much personally. Um, the Mets grabbed uh, Harrison Bader, one year, ten and a half. Atlanta grabbed Lu uh, Luis Guillorme from the Mets, one year, one point one mil as a backup utility infielder guy. Um, Polisak went to the Angels, and then this is a deal I'm not quite sure. I I think this is another overpay by the Mets. Sean Manea, two years, twenty eight million with an opt out after this season. Um, the way they structure it, it's 14 and a half this year, 13 and a half next year. So he'll likely opt out if he has a halfway decent season and has a chance to pick up a little more money after that. Um, and then the Dodgers, because apparently the Dodgers still have money lying around after um, Otani and Yamamoto and Glass. Now we'll talk about in a minute. They also got Teoscar Hernandez one year, 23 and a half. So, yeah, um, free agency started slow. It picked up. I'm um, not too surprised by it finally picking up. It's about freaking time. Um, drove me nuts how slow things start and the fact that we're so stuck on waiting to see what one guy does. You know, baseball really should use an should take this as a learning opportunity. Football and basketball, the bulk of their free agency is done in like three or four days. They don't drag it off, drag it out for the entire offseason. And they generate a ton of press. They generate a ton of comments on the internet and it keeps them relevant when they're in their off season. And I, you know, I know it's not traditional baseball, but baseball would do well to consider trying to push up, push up the free agency timing a little bit or something so that we don't have another year like this where we're stuck with basically doldrums for the first two, three months of the off season waiting for one guy to sign. Um, before we move on to the trades and looking at this thing as a whole, did you guys have any other thoughts on some of the free agents that have signed? Uh, other than the fact that I think we all can pretty much agree that the amount of money being thrown around this year is a lot. That's about it. Yeah, I, I think, um, I feel like the Diamondbacks, you know, held serve, so to speak. I think they did enough to maintain that, that competitive position. Um, so far, we'll see if they do more. Um, I feel like the Royals got better this year. Uh, so far, um, honestly, I don't. I, I think. I don't think the Indians are going to do as well because I mean, or the Guardians. Sorry, um, <laughs> it, it's an easy mistake. It's it's yeah. a lot. Of, it's a lot of years habit to break and switch around. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think. I think the fact that Francona is gone. I think. I, I think it's important not to underestimate just how important that is to them. Um, I think the Tigers and the Royals got better, and I think the rest of that division has not. So, If I remember right, Tito was the all-time winningest manager of them. If I remember right, I think, I think, I think he passed. Um, let me look here. Yeah. Yeah. I think Tito last season passed the uh, all time winningest manager in franchise history. So yeah, Joe, that's, that's a, that's an excellent point. I hadn't even really thought about that with the uh, guardians being in transition this year with a new manager. It's good. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, How well I, will they change? And I think, I think the Mets did enough to at least make some improvement. Manea looks really good in the second half of the year. He didn't look, he didn't, pitch much past the fifth inning for a majority of the season for whatever reason. Um, That's MLB now. That drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, 
And with the Dodgers, I think it's a lot of money to spend to come in second or lose in the first round, so I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, here, here's the thing. With everything the Dodgers have signed, they're still not – I still don't see that as a roster that is built to get out of the NLDS, especially this year. I don't care that you added Yamamoto and Glass now. With, with, with two guys, that's not enough to get out of the NLDS. It's just not. You need to have a solid third guy, and maybe it'll be Kershaw, but Kershaw isn't re-signed, and he won't be back until June at the earliest anyway. And so we'll have to, you know, we'll have to see. He had, he's been very not more non-committal than he normally is in the off season, more than he's been the last couple of years. So he may either hang it up for good, or he might say, "No, we're gonna maybe go try somewhere else for a while. Maybe he won't be a career Dodger. We'll just have to wait and see on that." But really, outside of two guys, that rotation doesn't scare me at all. Yeah, I mean Walker Walker Bueller is gonna be back, and he'll be hopefully back to form for them. But to me, everything with the Dodgers comes down to one person who's still at the top, and that's Dave Roberts, and I don't trust him. No, absolutely not. And I don't think most Dodger fans do either. And they shouldn't. And they shouldn't. (laughs) You pull Clayton Kershaw out of a potential perfect game. No. Bad manager. Bad. You got you got you got beat by Gabe Kapler for Christ's sake. Like this is a (laughs) big Yes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I know Phillies fans that year were chortling extremely loudly when uh, that happened. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the trades, guys. So um, there were, in particular, two GMs very active in their wheeling, wheeling and dealing. The first, we'll talk about the, man, about the Mariners. So they made a series of trades. Um, just over the last couple days. First, they got rid of Robbie Ray. They sent him down to the Giants for outfielder Mitch Hanniger and Anthony DiSclefani in cash. Ray, um, they owe him $73 million over the last three seasons. He's coming off of Tommy John. He won't be back until after the All-Star break. And let's remember, the contract has an opt-out after 2024, so they may only have him through the end of this season. Now, in, 20, uh, now in 2022... He pitched pretty well, 371 ERA, 189 innings, 212 strikeouts, 62 walks. He only had one ineffective start last year, and then he needed Tommy John. So we'll have to see what exactly what the Giants get out of Ray, but they send back Mitch Hanniger, who was an absolute flop with the Giants last year. 209, 266, 365 was his line. Um with the Mariners, who he had been with his entire career previously, 263, 337, 480. A three-year, $43.5 million deal is what he signed last year, $17 million this season. Um, he does have an opt-out after the season, so again, he might be another one-year rental. We'll see about that. Um, I have a feeling Hanniger might actually stay in Seattle. He knows the place really well. Um, Dave Sclafani, he's in the final year of a three-year, $36 million deal, owed 12 this year. 2021 was such a good season for Dave Sclafani, and he has fallen off since then. In the last two years, he's had a 516 ERA and 118 and two thirds innings over two. That's two seasons, guys. Um, a lot of injuries, a lot of ineffective starts. So I, I'm not really, I, I'm not really sure I get this deal too much. I, I guess maybe they want a pitcher who can actually pitch this year, but I, I, I don't really like this deal at all for the Mariners, to be honest. Yeah, I'm just I'm not really sure what they're doing with all of the deals that they've made. Um, you know, they had they made a huge push to 
get close to the playoffs after unloading a bunch of talent, which didn't make sense. And they they're continuing to unload it. And I don't really know what to make of any of it. Some of the unloading makes sense. I know they, they wanted to get rid of their, some of their high strikeout guys. And I get that. I, I do. But at the same, cause that's, that was the big thing behind sending uh, Eugenio Suarez to the Diamondbacks. They only got back Carlos Vargas and Sebi Zavala. And Zavala is basically a replacement level catcher. He's nothing special. Vargas was a good get. He's a good high octane arm arm for their bullpen. I I, I do like getting Vargas. Um, but they sent Kalenic over to the Braves. And where's that tree? That is sorry. Atlanta made so many. I have to find it. <laughs> All right, the Kalenic trade, here it is. Um, they picked up Jackson Coar, who we never saw a pitch because we got him from the Royals, and Cole Phillips, who is a minor leaguer. Um, Phillips, he, he showed a triple-digit fastball in high school as a prep star, drafted in the second round in 2022, and he immediately had Tommy John. He has never pitched a professional inning in his life, and he has not from everything I've heard from Brave scouting reports, and I've no doubt that they're likely true, he hasn't gotten his velocity back yet. So we basically get Kalenic for peanuts and bad and bad contracts because we also picked up um, Marco Gonzalez, Evan White, and some cash in the deal as well. I, I, I just don't get it. And then they sent Jose Caballero to the race and got Luke Raleigh back. Raleigh's not a bad hitter. 249, 333, 490 last year, 19 homers, 49 RBIs. But he also had the 13th highest strikeout rate at 31.5%. So you say you're going to shed high strikeout guys, and then you pick up a high strikeout guy. I, I, it, the Mariners' deals just don't make a lot of sense to me. And I get it. Cavalero wasn't a big loss. I mean, he's basically a, he's a utility-level infield guy. He's a 221 average guy. He's very strong defense, though. And let's face it, the Rays need some, you know, defensive options in the infield because Wander Franco will likely not be available for at least part of the year. I the Mariners confuse me. I, I don't know what they're doing. And I really wish uh I really wish uh Dave was here to try and explain it, but I don't even think Dave would have a damn clue what the Mariners are doing. It just makes no sense. Um yeah. All right, so the other GM making a thousand deals, it seems, was Alex Andopoulos. He was trading and moving assets around uh, so fast. So Kyle Wright and Nick Anderson were sent to the Royals for Jackson Coer and Cash. That deal I was fine with. Kyle Wright was going to be out all of 2024. It opens up a roster spot. Nick Anderson, we were going to have to non-tender him anyway. So the fact that we were able to get a little cash back for him was great. Um, and then again, Jackson Coar, he got flipped later. We made a trade where we sent Soroka, Riley Gowans, Jared Schuster, Nicky Lopez, and Braden Shoemake to the White Sox for Aaron Bummer, a uh, left, nice left-handed power arm out of the bullpen. I'm okay with that. Soroka, I love Soroka. He, he needs a change of pace. I don't know that he's ever going to be an effective pitcher in the majors again after two Achilles injuries. Um, Schuster did not show enough last year to keep, to keep around. Um, Shoemake was never going to be a regular. Um, and then they sent co like I said, Coar and Phillips, the Mariners for clinic, Marco Gonzalez and Evan white. Then Marco Gonzalez got sent to the pirates with some cash for a player to be named later or more cash back. Evan white and Tyler Thomas got sent to, um, 
to the Angels along with David Fletcher for, excuse me, for David Fletcher and Max Stasi. We already have two good catchers. So Stasi was immediately flipped to the White Sox for a player to be named later or cash. Um, we got we traded Drew Campbell to the Padres for Matt Carpenter, Ray Kerr, and Cash. Man, Matt, there are years years ago I would have loved Matt Carpenter. Not now. <laughs> we don't need him now. Um, and Matt Carpenter, we weren't able to flip him, so he got waived three days later. Um, Ray Kerr, I believe we've kept on for, as a power arm for the bullpen. And then more recently, they traded Vaughn Grissom to Boston for uh, Chris Sale. So basically, l- l- let's sum this up. Braves take on dead money, move dead contracts, take money back or players to be named later back. It's it's basic. Basically, it's kind of it almost reminds you of a drug front, the way money is flying in and out of the Atlanta organization right now. But what the best way I saw it explained was AA. The roster is pretty set. AA is just trying to make marginal improvements around the edges where he can, including getting a couple high more high velocity arms for the bullpen, which I think is something that they absolutely need. Something I noticed in the Philly series last year, we didn't have as many high velo guys to run out. So I'm okay with all of this. And then, you know, um, Soleil, we extended two years, 38 million and added a buyout free club option for 18 million for 2026. So kind of like what they did with Charlie Morton when they signed him tacking on club options at the end as he gets older. So uh, yeah, a lot of wheeling and dealing and um, Hey, I'll, I'll take the rotation we have right now. I've got no complaints and I I'm not really going to miss most of the guys we sent away. I'll miss Vaughn Grissom. He had a good bat, but there was no place for him. His defense is not good, but Boston doesn't need his defense that to be that good. They needed a good right-handed bat to just plunk balls off the green monster. And I think Vaughn Grissom is going to do very well in Boston, either as potentially a left fielder, although I don't really see that, or as a second-base DH guy over there i I think it was honestly a win-win for both teams so those are the two gms that have been ridiculously active this offseason trading um you also had of course the dodgers sending ryan pepiot and johnny deluca down to the Rays to get tyler glasnow and manuel margot glasnow then got extended five years 136 and a half million and if i remember right that was actually a clause the the dodgers added to this trade was that glasnow would have to agree to an extension and uh, I, I can't blame the Dodgers for saying that. I I wouldn't blame any team for demanding that of a high leverage arm like that. Here they go, spending more money. Dude, I don't even want to think about all that money, man. Makes me mad. And then um, the Red Sox were trading with the Cardinals, Nick Robertson and Victor Santos for Tyler O'Neill, um, which is why I don't think Vaughn Grissom will be moved to left field with the Red Sox. I think O'Neill will be their left fielder. Um, the Yankees traded Michael King, Drew Thorpe, Johnny Brio, Randy Vasquez, and catcher Kyle Higashoka to the Padres to get Juan Soto and Trent Grisham. Um, honestly, I, I thought that was actually a pretty fair trade for both sides. King's already been up. He's a nice middle of rotation kind of guy. Thorpe was a second-round pick in 21, had good numbers in high A and double A, so he'll probably be ready for triple A, maybe even a late-season majors appearance. Brito and Vasquez will be uh, multi-inning bullpen arms, and then Hickashoka is a strong defensive catcher with good framing. So honestly, I thought both teams made out pretty well in the Soto trade. You know, the Yankees got the superstar that they desperately need for the outfield, um, and I, guys, as much as I hate, as Juan Soto drives me up a freaking wall, 
I think New York's a good place for him to be. I think his bat will translate very well to Yankee Stadium. What do you think? I mean, it was very – I think it was hard for him to hit it out playing for the Padres. Yeah. So maybe the shorter wall will help. Well, and the, the Padres – the Padres are known for having a very pitcher-friendly ballpark. They always have had pitcher-friendly ballparks. I mean, old Qualcomm Stadium was horrible for hitters. Unless you were Tony Gwynn and you were slapping it in the alleys all over the place. It was great for that, but it wasn't good for hitting for power. Um, and then you had a rare Yankees and Red Sox trade. You'd think the Red Sox have learned to not trade with the Yankees after the Babe Ruth deal. But the Red Sox said, all right, why not? Let's do it. The Yankees sent right-handers Richard Fitz and George Weissert and uh, Nicholas Judas to the Red Sox for Alex Verdugo. Um, since 1969, the teams made eight trades, so still a little bad blood there. <laughs> Honestly, though, I like the trade for both clubs. The Yankees need a left-handed bat in the outfield. Um, Cora wanted Verdugo gone. He benched him twice last year. He benched him in June for a lack of hustle, and then in August when he showed up two hours before the game instead of four, which is what the team mandates. Plus, Boston has plenty of outfield depth. The Yankees sent away three pitching prospects. None of them were top 10 prospects. So, good trade, I think, both ways. I mean, so, I would argue the Yankees have plenty of outfield depth. Now they do. So, no, that happened, Judge, Stanton, and Verdugo. Like, yeah, but Stanton and Judge are always hurt. And, well, right. and Stanton. And Stanton should be – I think he's going to be DH. I think they're going to pull him out of the field because he gets hurt so often. Probably. So we'll see. Um, I hope they keep Judge in the field because Judge really does have a nice glove out there. It'd be a pity to force him on the bench. Got an arm too. Yeah, he's a really good arm. You're not wrong. Mm-hmm. All right. So who's left? Once the dust has settled, this is what's left. Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Shota Imagana. Um, and Imagana's window closes, I believe, on Thursday. I think we're three days out. So we will know about him pretty soon. Whether and if he remember, if he doesn't sign, he goes. He goes back to the Japanese league he, until they post him again next year. Marcus Stroman, Yariel Rodriguez, Michael Lorenzen, Mike Clevenger, um, again Paxson, Kershaw, Woodruff for the hurt guys. Uh, I guess Paxson wasn't hurt that much, but I don't see Paxson picking up a huge deal. For the relievers, your big ones are Hater, Jordan Hicks, uh, Arolas Chapman. Hector Neris, and it's weird to say that he's one of the bigger guys available for relievers, and David Robertson. Huh, Matt Moore's still available. How about that? Philly should take him back. You know who the Cubs should take back? David Robertson? David Robertson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Catching, still really weak. Uh, Gary Sanchez, Andrew Neiser, Jacob Stallings, Aust- although Austin Noel is not bad. Um First base in DHs, you got Reese, which I'm a little surprised Reese hasn't signed somewhere yet, except it's probably because Jed Hoyer hasn't answered a phone call in three months. Um, J.D. Martinez, Roy Soler, Justin Turner, Jock Peterson, Brandon Belt, among others. Um, second base and shortstop, Whit Merrifield, Amon Rosario, Tim Anderson, Adam Frazier, Kiko, um, Elvis Andrews. Third base, you got Chapman. And Gio Yershell is pretty much it for big third baseman. Then the outfield where you have some big names still. Cody Bellinger, who, again, should have been back in Chicago by now. Jed would answer the damn phone. Um, Tommy Pham, Michael Taylor, Adam Duvall, Joey Gallo. And, again, there's some other guys, but I think those are some of the biggest. Um, 
guys, uh, let's start with Belly. I think he's the biggest name left in the free agencies right in the free agency list right now. Where do you see him going? Uh, Joe, I'll let, I'll let you tee off first. Go ahead, dude. I, I, I don't know where he's going to go. I, I, I wish I did. Um, but, I mean, from all from all accounts, he loved playing in Chicago. So, I, I mean, either either the deal's not good enough or Boris is being a dick. Um, wouldn't shock anybody either. It's entirely possible um, with, with this. But, um, you know, to me, he, he probably ends up there. I mean – he, he could end up in – any team would benefit from it because he can play center or first, as we found out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, so he's been, a, he's been a center first for quite a number of years, if I remember. Well, I, I don't know that he played a ton. Of, I don't know. I just didn't know that until he was on my team, I guess, um, that he played both. Um, you know, I, I think – He's clearly gotten his groove back, so I think he'd be a good, good pickup for anybody. Honestly, um, you know, it, I, I don't know where he's going to go. I'm not going to pretend to know where he's going to go. Fair. I feel like he should have been locked up already, but he's not. So whatever. Yeah. Freaking Boris, um, Ron. Wh- what are your thoughts on Belly? Where do you think he's going? Uh, I'm kind of with Joe on this. Honestly, I think the Cubs really should sign him again, but how, I guess it's going to have to be a team that actually needs a good glove in the outfield. See, and see, and the, and the problem, the problem with, from the Cubs side of this is that they've locked in Ian Happ. They locked in, they've got say locked in, they've got Nico locked in, they've got Dansby locked in. You've got to have somewhere for Canario PCA to play. You've got to mm-hmm. have somewhere for, you know, you've got to decide if Mervis is going to be your guy or if you're going to sign Hoskins, maybe. Uh, I, I mean, you got to figure out what the heck you're going to do with Morrell. I mean, Morrell played third in the Dominican League and looked pretty good. So I, I have no idea what they're going to do. Yeah. They, they have a ton of questions that they aren't aren't answering at this point. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's hard to really to gauge where they're going to go. Is PCA expected to be MLB ready this year out of coming out of spring training? I mean, I, I, he probably could be. I, I think, you know, a, a lot of people are concerned about, you know, his, his hitting last year when he was up for, you know, a good two months, but I, I, he wasn't playing every day. So, I mean, it, it's, it takes some time to get used to that. Uh, it's the same thing with, with Canario. They brought Canario up who was, hitting the cover off the ball and then didn't play for two months. Like mm-hmm. it, what's the point of bringing the guy up if you're not going to let him play? Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't really know what their, what their plan is, what their strategy is there. I, I, I think, I mean, defensively he's ready. He looked pretty good defensively when he was a uh, PCA did. Um, it, it's, it's a matter of the offense really. But I mean, who knows? Yeah, that, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Um, I was thinking um, when I was when I was looking over this, I was thinking the Cubs. But again, you have the issue of all the of all the young guys and getting the outfield locked out. I think the Padres should probably be a strong consideration with Soto gone. They need an outfielder over there. Um, I thought the Yankees, but now that the Yankees picked up Soto and everybody else, I think the Yankees are probably out on Bellinger. Here's here's a wild card I hadn't really thought about 
initially, but then as I looked at the roster, I'm like, this actually makes a lot of sense. How about the Angels? They need another star to go with Mike Trout now that Shohei's gone, and uh, Belly can help cover for Trout when he inevitably gets hurt again because he always does. Yeah, I, I think that would be a good move for him. It's a great place for him. Um, like I said, I think any team would be great to lucky to have Belly at this point. All right, guys. Uh, how about uh, roll this Chapman? Let's look at a at a power arm closer. Any thoughts on where Chapman might go? I mean, a lot of teams still need a hard arm at the end of the game. I mean, I think Milwaukee certainly needs help in the closer department with all the hater nonsense from last year, and they they weren't really the same team after that. I don't think. Um, so, I mean, he certainly would benefit them, um, in that spot. But again, I think, um, you know, Chapman's one of those guys where he might strike out guys, but he, I mean, he's not the same player he was seven years ago. Um, you know, throwing 100 and whatever it was every time he threw the ball. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, you know, I, I, where does he end up at? Who knows, really? <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a lot of guys we thought would be signed and done already, and and they're just kind of sitting in the ether right now. So, yeah, it's true. Is Chapman a Boris client? I don't think he is. I think he's one of the few on this. No, he's not. No. He's one of the few on this list who isn't. Um, and I know, and that's the other problem. They baseball needs to step on Scott Boris and say, "Stop holding your clients out for so long. We need to get this going." Um, Whit Merrifield, um, I know he's still, a, let's look at Whit Merrifield, Tim Anderson together. Cause they're middle infield guys. Um, I, I know they're not coming down to Atlanta. We don't have any middle infield need. Joe doesn't need middle infield for a long time. Ron, you don't need middle infield for a long time. <laughs> um, for those guys, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see like somebody like the Mets maybe take a flyer and wit just even as a backup utility guy and a pinch runner guy, he, he he's the kind of, he's got the speed and excitement that can help charge a ball club up. Um, the Mets certainly need a guy like that. Um, I, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the contenders though, they're, they're set at middle infield. So, you know, I think the market will not be as robust for middle infielders for a while as it has been the last couple of years. Yeah, the Mets make, make a lot of sense for Witt because right now I think they're planning to move McNeil back to second. Ooh, no. They should get McNeil isn't bad at second, but I think if you have a guy like Witt there, then then McNeil can play the outfield with Nimmo and, and now Bader. Um, mm. and, and that's a pretty formidable outfield, at least in my, in my opinion. That's going to be a good outfield this season. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ron, I'll kick this one to you. What, where do you think Reese is going? Uh, two teams. I'm gonna I'm gonna say either Chicago to the Cubs or Seattle. It just they seem like it's just two teams that need that constant first baseman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could see either of those. Um, I, I'm surprised he hasn't signed yet. Although coming off the injury, I know that's um, and you know dealing with Jed Hoyer's inability to answer a freaking phone call. Um, I know his contract's going to be a little complicated. He's going to want a one-year prove-it deal so he can get right back on. And any team that signs him, knowing that the kind of injury he's coming back from, should say, no, we want a two-year deal. So that might be tying that up there. Um, you know, two 
two two outfielders here, Solaire and Peterson. Um, they're let, let's be real, Solaire and Peterson are kind of getting to the end of getting to the point in their career where they're really more DH than everyday outfielders. Um, I wouldn't, to be honest, I wouldn't be shocked to eventually see Jorge Soler head back down to Miami and play with the Marlins again. He seemed, he, he did well with them last year. Um, honestly, I thought he should have gotten the award for top DH last year, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Josh Hader, I do that. That guy's a mess. What, what, what kind of a closer with your team fighting for its playoff lives when you're haven't been eliminated yet, says to your manager, no, I'm not going to come in for two innings, even though you need me now. I don't want that guy on my team. I don't care if he'd play for league minimum. I don't want him on my team. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, the old saying from remember the Titans attitude reflects leadership. Screw that shit, man. If you don't want to pitch when your team needs you, I, I don't need you. Yeah. And I, I, really th- I think that decision is going to keep him out of the $100 million contract. I think, I think had he not done that, he had a chance to match what um, Edwin Vasquez got last year, but I don't think he will now. All right. And then um, any of the other, you know, other pitchers, you got Naris Robertson, Snell, Montgomery, and Magana Stroman. I, I was going to say, could anybody have any predictions, but you know what? The free agent market has been so volatile for pitching with the numbers going so out of control. I, I feel like it's gotten almost impossible to predict for these guys. Um, do you guys have any feelings, um, just on Imagana since, since he, his posting time's almost up I, personally, from what I've heard, I wouldn't be shocked to see either, probably not Seattle, although they would make a lot of sense. They get a lot of the KB, not just the KBO guys, but the Japanese guys coming over. I think the Dodgers will finally probably say enough's enough. We spend enough money, although I wouldn't be shocked if that proves to be false. Um, I, I would say though, keep an eye on the giants and the Padres for Imagana. I also would not be shocked to see even the Cubs possibly take a run at him. Um, I also wouldn't be shocked to see the Mets take a run at him as well. Phillies Probably the Mets take more. A run too. Yeah, I heard the Phillies are still in are are still in on him, but I I feel like they had put more resources into trying to get Yamamoto, and now they don't have Yamamoto, they're not too upset with what they have, and they shouldn't be. You guys have a solid rotation already. You know, it's just he'd be a mid-level guy. He wouldn't be an ace and you've already got two aces. So you don't, you know, you don't need a top end guy anymore. So. Yeah. I, I think you're right on, on Imanaga with, with the giants or the Padres somewhere out there, Seattle, maybe um, there there's reports today that Stroman and the Yankees have mutual interest. That could, that could possibly happen. Um, <laughs> Rizzo. Yeah. I mean, Rizzo wasn't there, obviously, when Stroman got there, but uh, there is that that former Cub mentality and and things. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if if Philly went after um, Montgomery or Stroman. I think both of those guys improve you in 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 some way, shape, or form. To be sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, there's no rotation they wouldn't improve. Go ahead, Ron. I I think if Philly goes after. Strowman or Montgomery, I think it's going to end up being Montgomery over Strowman. Yeah, Montgomery's a lefty, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Philly definitely needs another left-handed starter. That would definitely, if there's one thing you could pick apart, is they they do need some more left-handed pitching. All right, guys. So that's you know that's free agency in a, in a nutshell. 
Um, one other thing I want to touch on before we sign off for the first time of the new year, uh, Michael Brantley did announce his retirement. Um, after 15 seasons and five All-Stars and one World Series title, he's going to hang the spikes up. He's well-known for being one of the players that was uh, traded by the Brewers for CC Sabathia way back in 2008. <laughs> That's crazy to think about. Um, career 298 average, 129 homers, 720 RBIs, 125 stolen bases, and a 794 OPS. Where he really shined, though, was in the postseason, 62 games over 14 series, 283 average, including uh, 327 in his two World Series appearances with the Astros. Um, I I will never forget how much of a fit Michael Brantley gave both Atlanta and Philadelphia uh, in 2021 and 22. Uh, that dude in the World Series always picks his play up. Um, uh, that said, I'm not too upset to see him retire. If the Astros make it back to the World Series, it'll be okay to not see him on the other side of the field. Um do you guys th do you guys think he's uh, has an outside shot maybe at getting elected to the Hall of Fame, or do you think he's probably going to get fall down to the Hall of Very Good, but fall just short? Hall, Hall of Very Good playoffs, he was excellent, but that that's not your whole career. So, yeah, I agree. If One, he does, it's going to be it'll probably be in like year nine or ten. Yeah, that's, that that's true. If you make it past the first two and three years and stay on the ballot. You, there is always an outside shot because there's that outside shot, but you got to get there first. Yeah. He's got to not be one of the ridiculous number of new guys this year who will fall off because they will get nothing or almost no support. All right. So that's it for us guys for the, uh, for the first year. Do you guys have anything else you want to bring up for this week? All right, we, we do we beat the Dodgers enough, or uh, should we get this keep the stick sharpened for the next time to keep poking at them? <laughs> sure, Jason will have some stuff to say. So oh, I, I know Jason's going to have some stuff to say. <laughs> I can't wait for it. All right, guys, you can find audio recordings on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. You can watch us live on Facebook Live, YouTube on our YouTube channel, as well as on Twitter. Um, I'm working on getting this moved over to our Instagram, so you can see us live on Instagram as well. Hopefully, next episode or two, I'll have that done. Merchandise is at redbubble.com, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dollardogsandbeer. Uh, the Twitter handle is at DDAB underscore podcast. All four of us are on Twitter. I'm at PyroLord314. Jason's at JRicker300. Joe's at JoltonJoe35. Ron is at DipnerRon. We are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast LLC and sponsored by Baron Barbershop over in Mannheim. Guys, may your dogs always cost a dollar. May your beer always be cold. Have a good one.